Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Jennifer Colby, and I'm one of the directors here at Zion. It is a privilege and an honor to be able to study God's word with you today. Last week, Pastor Jason finished our summer series called This is How I Fight, a series about spiritual warfare. And I found his message last week to be such an encouragement that even though there are current battles and there will be future battles, we know how the story ends. And it ends in our favor and for our good and for God's glory. It's interesting, though, I don't really love to give messages that aren't a part of a series or like a specific text. I like to be assigned something and then do the research and go from there. But for this message, I had to do a lot of seeking of the Lord. And so I asked, Lord, what do you want us to talk about today? And I think this is an interesting thing, and I, I want to speak to that for a moment. When Jason or Derek or whoever is up here teaching week by week, we are not just saying the thing that we think God want, that we want to say. We are trying to figure out and say the thing that God wants us to hear. And so that's why when we move into missional community groups, one of the things we're going to be doing this fall is studying and digging deeper into the sermons. But here's the thing for me. I did not want to speak on the thing that I thought God wanted me to share. And I had just gotten back from vacation. I had a very full week. And I thought, perhaps I can just use an old message that I created just for the fun of it. Nobody's ever heard, of, heard it before. And do that instead. But I want you to know I resisted doing the easy thing. I resisted doing my own thing so that I could be obedient to where I thought the Lord wanted us to go today. And I'm not, I'm not trying to say that as, I'm not trying to brag, I'm not bragging here. I'm just trying to encourage you that doing the hard thing, the right thing, is actually difficult. Obeying God is hard. Doing kingdom work is hard work. Radically obeying what God is asking us to do and then following that is hard work. Taking up our cross daily to follow him is really hard. But stick with it. Stay the course. Our hope is not rooted in our obedience. It's rooted in the one we obey. And here's how we persevere through the life of trials and temptations and battles, all the things we've been talking about all summer. We do this by dwelling with the Lord. We remain connected with him. We remain present with him moment by moment. We take up a permanent residence in him and then make our home there. We draw near and then we stay near. And I'm going to spend the entirety of this message teaching you how to learn how to dwell well. But I want you to know you already know what dwelling is like. When was the last thing you got total last time you got totally consumed in this thing? Yesterday? Maybe this morning for some of us? You can get so lost in here. It happens to all of us. When was the last time that you were scrolling through Facebook or watching TikTok videos and next thing you know it's been 2 hours and you were totally lost? That's dwelling. And the question, the challenge for us is when was the last time you got lost in the Lord for 2 hours? A couple weeks ago, some friends and I walked around the entire lake. But like, nobody wants to walk around the entire lake. So in order to entice people, I made like fun stops throughout the day. So we got donuts at South Shore Donut Company and coffee at Cabin. And that's kind of like how the day went. 
And there was this part of the walk after the Ventura Jetty where the bike path takes you through the woods and then into a prairie area with wildflowers and long grasses. Uh, it's Sisters Prairie Trail. Some of you are probably familiar with it if you, if you bike a lot. But here's the thing, we were going slow. I mean, we were on like mile 10 at this point and our legs were tired. And so we were just barely trekking along. But the slowness of our walk is what allowed me to appreciate just how beautiful and serene everything around me was. It helped me to be present in that moment. And we turned on some worship music and we just walked and worshiped and you know, as we needed to talk, we talked and we'd go back to worshiping. And it was wonderful. It was like God was actually walking with us himself in the garden. I have very few words to describe just how refreshing and restorative it was. And I said to my friends, I think this is what heaven is going to be like. And then I reflected on that moment in the days after our walk, and I thought, if I'm being honest, there are very few times in my life where I have thought, this is heaven on earth. This is something that will remain when everything else is stripped away. This right here, what I'm experiencing, is a glimpse of kingdom come. And I was heartbroken that there were so few occurrences of that in my life. And I think for me, and I wonder if it's the same for you, that our inability to recognize kingdom moments as we're living them, our inability to be fully present with the Lord and with others, is a result of a lack of dwelling in our life and the deficiency that comes from that. And conversely, I wonder, if we aren't actively pursuing a life built on dwelling with the Lord, then we, are we also passively pursue, pursuing a life built on Satan? And I realize that's a bold statement. It's scary, but I, I kind of look at it like this. There's a saying in Celebrate Recovery that says, if you aren't actively working on your recovery, then you're actively working on your relapse. Or as Jason said last week, you can't be neutral. Either you're for God or against him. There really is not a middle ground. Or as Jesus himself said to Peter when, when uh, Jesus revealed he was going to be crucified, Peter rebuked him and Jesus told him, get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Here's my point. If you aren't dwelling with the Lord, then who or what are you dwelling with? And let me ask it this way, and just so you know, these are the same questions I ask myself. God's been doing this dwelling work for a couple of months now, and so these keep coming back up in my life over and over again. How are you dwelling with the Lord in your interactions with your spouse? How are you dwelling with the Lord when you discipline your children? Are you dwelling with the Lord at work in your interactions with your coworkers or your boss? How are you dwelling with the Lord when that jerk cuts you off in traffic? Are you dwelling with the Lord when the doctor gives you that diagnosis? Are you dwelling with the Lord when you're running 30 minutes late and your child wants to change their outfit for the fifth time? I have teenage daughters. This hasn't happened to me before, so someone's got to fill me in. Are you dwelling with the Lord when your baby is up again after only sleeping for an hour? How well do you dwell? It's like a rap star. How well do you dwell when you're worried about paying your rent? Are you dwelling with the Lord when the person you love so deeply that you have pleaded and begged with the Lord for, for them to stop something does it again? 
How well do you dwell? When you get home from a long day at work, and the kitchen's a mess, and bedroom one's a mess, and bedroom two's a mess, and then the laundry room, guess what? It's also a mess. And then you get to the third bedroom, which is your room, so it should be clean, but it's also a mess. How are you dwelling in those moments? How are you dwelling with the Lord when you're watching your favorite TV show or attending your favorite sporting event? How well do you dwell when things don't go your political way? What about when your neighbor's music is too loud or their grass too long? This one happened to me last week. Was I dwelling with the Lord when the hotel that I chose to stay at because they had an airport shuttle service in fact, did not have an airport shuttle service. And so now I have to drive to Chicago O'Hare and find a parking spot at Chicago O'Hare, people. And I'm driving around, and all the spots that are marked as open are clearly not open. And so I finally come to the only open place, which was a tow-away zone, and left my car there. And actually, I was dwelling pretty well with the Lord in that moment because I was like, Jesus, this is, your hand. This is in your hands. Thy will be done with my car. I got to get to my flight. And spoiler alert, it was there when I returned, okay? The first service was not happy that I didn't share that. But what that meant was for the duration of my vacation and my husband while he was at home, we had to dwell that somehow the Lord was going to make this good when we got back. You know what I mean? Dwelling, abiding, remaining being present with the Lord minute by minute, moment by moment, is actually very difficult to do. How are you living near to the Lord in those moments, in those things that are just so daily? How are you sensing God's kingdom come in the normalcy? How are you bringing heaven on earth? And so the question that I hope to answer today is, how does one dwell with the Lord and how does one dwell well? And I think the first thing I should tell you is what it's not. It's not spiritual disciplines. It's not reading your Bible or praying or fasting or solitude. Those are good things. But here's the thing. You, and you can't dwell well without them. But this does happen, and it scares me that you can do all these things without dwelling in the, with the Lord in the midst of them. You can't dwell with the Lord without studying and knowing his word, but you can study his word without dwelling with the Lord. You can't dwell with the Lord without praying and communicating with him, but you can pray without dwelling. So there's this dynamic where spiritual disciplines are necessary for dwelling, but they don't equate to dwelling. Obedience, same thing. You can follow God's commands and never encounter him in the midst of it. Serving, same thing. Christian community, same. I am so passionate that each of us has a gospel-centered, confessional community where we can dwell with the Lord together. Here's a scary one for you. I can write and give you this entire message without spending a moment dwelling in the Lord in it. I hope you see the problem. We can do all the right things and still miss God. We can miss his presence. You can miss moments where heaven and earth collide. Worse, you could be doing all the Christian-y things and actually be a conduit of moments of hell on earth where you're advancing Satan's kingdom. I mean, I think of Peter when Jesus rebuked him. He was face-to-face -face with Jesus, yet he still couldn't truly see Jesus. He wasn't dwelling with Jesus in that moment. He was with him. 
but he wasn't with him with him. So again, I'll ask, how does one dwell with the Lord? And I'm hoping to shed some light from a verse in the book of Psalms. It's um, our main text today, and it's our first text, but I want to give you a fun little Zion fact about it. It's Psalm 91.1, and the Zion Roadside Chapel, how many of you guys have been to the Zion Roadside Chapel on South 24th Street? Yeah, a couple of you guys. It's It's an amazing place. Well, that place was donated by Jack Kennedy. He was a longtime member of Zion. He just recently passed, um, but his wife and son still attend the traditional service. Anyway, when he was um, at war, him and his mom would read Psalm 91 together, and that was every day, and then that was what kept them connected through the duration of his deployment. So I just think that's such a cool little Zion connection, and I want to tell you, if you need a physical place to help you spiritually dwell, go check out that chapel. It's it's really an amazing place. Anyway, the author of Psalm 91 is debated. There are some scholars who think that King David wrote it. King David wrote a lot of the Psalms. But there are other scholars who think that Moses wrote it and that King David was just the one to gather them and put them in one book. This Psalm examines what it looks like to live in the presence of God. It's a Psalm of confidence of strong assurance in God's security. I want you guys to read it with me. So if you'll open up your Bibles to Psalm 91, verse 1, you can pull out out your Bible, pull out the Bible app, the Zion app. It should be on Facebook, wherever you want to get it this morning, and we'll read it together. When you're ready, if you'll stand with me. Give you just another second here to find it. All right, Psalm 91, 1 says this. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Praise be to God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. They are words of wise living, but there's a hope connected to them. We dwell in order to rest. And I want to break down the meanings of the Hebrew words for some of these words in here. And and then I want to put them together so that we can learn how to dwell. There are four main words that I want to define. Dwell, shelter, rest, and shadow. The word dwells in Psalm 91.1 means to sit, remain sitting, settle, abide. It's like making a thing to keep. Dwelling is like making a home. It's like taking up a permanent residence there. It's not the wedding, but the marriage. It's like continuing to remain in something, connected, invested, near. It's like making a space and then settling in that space. The word shelter is a hiding place, a secret place, a a safe place. It's a place of protection. The Hebrew word for shelter here actually communicates something similar to a mother's womb. You know, a safe, nurturing, warm, life-giving kind of place. And dwelling in the secret place denotes nearness. So we dwell in the shelter so that we can rest in the shadow. And rest in this verse is like stopping to stay. There's a longevity to this kind of rest. It's the kind of rest it's where it's like a place where it, to just be. It means to stay permanently and then to continue to be satisfied as long as you stay. 
And shadow in this verse means protection or defense or shade. There's a stability here. It's, it's like the kind of protection that baby chicks have under their mother's wings. Gentle, but secure. It's the safety and security that comes from being totally protected and defended by someone who is bigger and stronger than your enemy. Here's the point. Dwelling with the Lord is settling in with him, remaining in him, making a home in him, because you know that he is your safe place. One of the reasons why I think I stop dwelling in the Lord is because I don't feel safe. I get scared or worried. My world gets chaotic around me. There are things, things are not going as planned. Things are changing and shifting faster than I can keep up with. And I get unsettled. And I start to ask, are things going to get taken care of? Or maybe our lack of feeling safe is not so much what's going on in the world around us, but what's going on in the world in us. Maybe we feel threatened, like our worth is under attack. Or maybe it's the quality of our work. Or maybe it's the quality of our parenting. Or maybe it's the quality of our character that gets questioned. And I don't know about you, but when this happens, I become my own worst enemy. In those moments, we either don't know or we forget who we are in Christ. We forget our identity and our value in Christ. Or maybe we say self-deprecating things about ourselves, or, or think self-deprecating thoughts about ourselves. When this happens, when we feel unsafe, when we feel threatened, when things are chaotic, when we forget who we are in Christ and the value that he declares over our life, we have a tendency to stop remaining in the Lord for that moment. And in that moment, we stop trusting him as our safe place. Here's what's interesting. Would you agree with me that fear and worry actually can lead us to a place of dwelling with the Lord? I think it does. What good father wouldn't want his children to come to them when they're scared? I think he wants that, and it's totally good. But how different would things be if we were already in a place of dwelling when those moments occur? What if instead of dwelling as a reaction... We responded to that situation out of our dwelling place. This is why our spiritual disciplines and spiritual rhythms are so important. We are training ourselves to dwell in those moments, and when, those chaos, when chaos comes, we will do as we've practiced. Dwelling with the Lord is intentional. You have to work to dwell. In the end, though, all that dwelling is is just remaining near to the Lord. It's simple but hard. It leads to rest, the kind of rest where you just stay with God in a continued state of satisfaction for who he is. That's rest. It's being secure in who Christ is and who he says you are. It's the kind of rest that provides the stability that when the rest of the world is falling apart around you, you remain confident in your God. Now, this whole time I've been telling you to dwell with the Lord, but actually, what's interesting in Psalm 91.1 is that we see two specific names of God mentioned here. Psalm 91 says this, Dwell in the shelter of the Most High, which is God's name, El Elyon, so that you can rest in the shadow of the Almighty, which is God's name, El Shaddai. El Elyon and El Shaddai. Dwell in El Elyon so you can rest 
and El Shaddai. Same God, two different names. We, when we see specific names of God mentioned in scripture, we should pay attention. Using specific names actually has a very important meaning for us. God's name is his promise that he will dwell with his people. It is his personal revelation from him to us about who he is and about what kind of relationship he wants to have with us. El Elyon means the most high God or the exalted one. It's the name that refers to God as maker of heaven and earth. It stresses God's sovereignty and supremacy. He's not just over creation. All creation exists because he willed it to be. El Shaddai indicates that God is all-powerful and has unlimited authority. God keeps his promises because he has the power and strength to do so. So I, wanna, I want you to apply what we've learned so far about dwelling into the specific names of El Elyon and El Shaddai. We dwell in the shelter of the one who is supreme and sovereign over everything. Nothing escapes him. And we rest in the one who knows all things. God keeps his promises because he can. And so we dwell in that place. Now remember, Psalm 91 is uh, believed to have been written by Moses. But what I didn't tell you is that it's believed that he either wrote it while they built the tabernacle in the Old Testament or in reference to building the tabernacle. In the book of Exodus, when God instructs Moses to build the tabernacle, God also gives Moses his reasoning for doing so. I'm going to read to you Exodus 25.8. This is God speaking to Moses. Have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. The word tabernacle literally means to dwell. It was always God's plan to be with his people. In fact, we see that immediately following creation in the Garden of Eden. God was with Adam and Eve, and he dwelled among them. The tabernacle was God's dwelling place so that God could be with his people again. Okay, I want to I wanna stick through, I want to run through some facts about the tabernacle, and I want you to stay with me because I believe it will bless you like it has me. There was a part of the tabernacle called the Holy of Holies, and it was in the far back center of the tabernacle. And inside the Holy of Holies was a piece of furniture made of acacia wood and covered in gold, and it was called the mercy seat. The mercy seat represented God's throne on earth, and his presence resided there. So inside the tabernacle, inside the Holy of Holies, at a place called the mercy seat was where God dwelt. Now the Israelites, that was God's people at the time when the uh, tabernacle was being built, they would regularly have to sacrifice animals as payment for their sins so that they could be reconciled with God. However, once a year at a festival called the Day of Atonement, the priests would take blood from the people's sacrifice and sprinkle it on the mercy seat. This was done as a reminder that even though the people had sacrifices daily, weekly, and monthly, it still was not enough to cover their sins. All right, you might be asking, what exactly does this have to do with dwelling? Stick with me. Psalm 91 is trying to teach us how to dwell. And it was written in reference to the tabernacle. And the reason the tabernacle was built was so that God could dwell with his people. And the specific part of the tabernacle, 
tabernacle where God dwelled was the mercy seat. And the mercy seat was also the place where atonement for sins occurred. Meaning that the place for payment of sins was the exact place where God's presence dwelled. The act of atonement occurred at the mercy seat, and this is what brought people back into right relationship with him. Now, I want you to consider this. The sins were covered at the place where God was. So at the exact moment that the sins were paid for, the people, the priests in this case, had immediate access to God in his dwelling place. And for us, the place where our sin gets covered, and the place where we get immediate access to God is the exact same place. Jesus is our mercy seat. And Paul tells us this in Romans 3, and starting in verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God presented Jesus as the mercy seat by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. Here's why this matters for you and I. And I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. Christ's sacrifice on the cross is the gift. It was the gift that was offered so that the wrath of God against our sin could be forever removed. Jesus is the one who gives us access to dwell with God. The reason Christ was sent to earth was so that God could dwell with us. Jesus is the mercy seat. Jesus is the tabernacle. He is God with us. God wants to be with us. He has always wanted to be with us. He wants us to make, he, actually, he wants to make a home with us. And for those of us in Christ Jesus, he has already done that through the indwelling of his spirit. He is already always present with us. The reason we get to dwell with the Lord is because he first dwelt with us. The reason why we get to draw near to God is because he is already near us. The reason why we should want to dwell is because he is just that good. How could we not want that in our lives? Look at all he has done for us. God dwelt with us in the garden. He dwelt with us in the tabernacle. He dwelt with us as Jesus, and he dwells with us right here, right now, in this moment, through his spirit. And he will dwell with us again in eternity. It was always his plan. It's just that for so many of us, we're missing it. We're missing the presence of God in the daily. We're missing the presence of God in the normal. We're missing the presence of God and all the goodness and beauty and freedom that that brings. And it's all because we haven't learned to dwell well. It's not because God is far away. It's because we are. All you and I have to do is to lean into a God who is already near to us and then just stay there. Someday, though, we will not have to work at dwelling. We will dwell simply because God made it so. Someday, God will get what he has always wanted, an unlimited, unhindered relationship with us. We're told in the book of Revelation, and this is the passage of scripture that Pastor Jason brought us last week. We're told that someday, when the former order of things has passed away, and the time is right, and there's a new heaven and a new earth, God's dwelling place will be among his people again and it will remain 
that way forever. And it will be good. There won't be words to describe how good it is. And it will be as it was always supposed to be, God dwelling among his people. Until that day, though, we strive. We make great efforts. We stay intentional and fervent in dwelling with our God right here, right now, moment by moment. I want to pray Ephesians 3 over us. Would you stand? This is after Paul got done talking about Christ dwelling on earth. We didn't talk about that today, but this is immediately following that. And this was his prayer for the Ephesians. And I want it to be our prayer for us. So let me pray. I pray that out of God's glorious riches, he may strengthen you with the power of his spirit so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power, together with all of Lord's people, to grasp just how high and wide and deep is the love of Christ. And I pray that you would be filled to the measure with all the fullness of God out of your dwelling place with him. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine, Lord, we ask, teach us to dwell. And all God's people agreed and said, amen. Amen.